What is that TV show? This is us. Do, we, do any of you like uh, the show This Is Us? Oh, that's a lot of hands. This is Chelsea and I's favorite show. This is the one show we look forward to uh, whenever it is on. And I think part of the reason we like it so much is it just, you get to know, it's a, it's a show about these, uh, these, this family and these five characters in, these, in this family. And it is always kind of surprising, these twists and turns, and you never, and you're all, and as you watch it, you think, oh yeah, I'm finally getting to know, that was Kevin there talking, you, you think, I'm finally getting to know Kevin, and then there's a new tw- uh, thing you learn about his life, and you're like, oh man, what does that mean? Or, oh yeah, that's the reason he is the way he is. And uh, you begin to see, hey, there are certain things that have formed each person to be the type of person they are. And there are these events, and this is going to lead to this. And so we are entitling a new sermon series that we are starting this morning, This Is Us. Because there are certain things that have shaped us and molded us to be who we are individually and as a church. And those things, if used by God, can uh, lead us forward in the direction that He is calling us to go. So this is us. This is a sermon series about mission and culture of our church. What are we all about? Where are we going and why and how are we going to get there? And uh, how did we get to where we are now? And so this is the sermon series. This is us. I want to introduce a mission statement to you this morning, and we're going to talk about this over the course of the next few weeks. The mission statement is this. We exist to spread a passion for God so that He is above all else in our lives, church, and community. That's a mission statement that we're going to talk about over the course of the next few weeks. And hopefully we'll kind of begin to take root and we'll be talking about this for years to come. So let's read this together. This is a mission statement for us as a church. Okay, here we go. We exist to spread a passion for God so that He is above all else in our lives, church, and community. Over the next few weeks, I'm going to share kind of how we came about this, Pastor Darren and myself and the vision team, and what this uh, mission statement means. And uh, we're going to talk about it kind of piecemeal, one section at a time. So today is the first part. What does it mean to have a passion for God? You see, all of us have passions in our lives. Uh, big passions and small passions. I've got a passion for chocolate that uh, I am trying to replace with a passion for dried apricots because I really like chocolate and I really like dried apricots, but dried apricots are better for me than chocolate. So I've got a passion for chocolate. I've got a passion for dried apricots. I've got a passion for my wife and for my kids. I've got a passion for ministry. I've got a passion for USC football. You see, there are big passions, and then there are smaller passions. But passions are the type of things that we get excited about, the type of things that energize us to do whatever we do. And uh, they drive us forward. They, they uh, provide pleasure in our lives. And what I want to pr- propose to us this morning is that a passion for God should trump all these other passions. 
As the mission statement says that we would have a passion for God so that he is above all else, that he is the greatest passion, that he influences everything in our lives so that our lives are oriented around our knowledge and love for God. So what does it mean to have a passion for God? Do you have a passion for God? Do you have a passion? What, and, and what would it look like for you to have a, a, for that passion for God to be so great in your life? And how do you cultivate a passion for God? Do we as a church have a passion for God? And how would we know if we do or if we don't? And how do we as a church cultivate a passion for God? How would we cultivate a passion for God in our community? And so these are some really good questions for us to wrestle with. And today's sermon gets us started along those lines. So before I go any farther, let's just go before the Lord and ask for His help because we recognize these are things that are bigger than ourselves. Father God, we just come before you this morning and uh, we recognize that you are a great God. You are a God who is worth having a passion for, that you love us so much. And uh, God, we just pray that you would stir within our hearts this morning just a desire to be even closer to you, to, to really to love you with all of our hearts. Just stir within us a passion for you. Open up your scriptures to us and may they speak to our hearts and whatever is going on in our lives. God, I pray that you would touch us in, with your word. In Jesus' name, amen. I don't know if it's just me, but it, up here it feels very warm. Can I have you turn the heater down? Otherwise, I know 15 minutes from now I am going to see a lot, of, a lot of this, okay? <laughs> so, um, all right, uh, passion for God. I was thinking about who in the Bible could we talk about having a passion for God? And the, and the person that came to mind was the prophet Jeremiah. Jeremiah is this guy that has such a passion for the Lord. In fact, uh, Jeremiah 20 verse 9 is a verse I memorized as a young Christian because I recognized in Jeremiah uh, this desire that I wanted to have a passion like him. Jeremiah 29, or 20 verse 9 says... If I say, I will not mention him or speak any more in his name. His word is in my heart like a fire, like a fire shut up in my bones. I am weary of holding it in. Indeed, I cannot. Now that is a man of passion, having this fire shut up in his bones. He says, even if I wanted to keep it to myself, it's just going to build up so much in me that I couldn't keep it to myself if I tried. So this man of passion, Jeremiah, we learn some lessons about what it means to have a passion for God. The first lesson I want to give to us this morning is that a passion for God is like a fire. In fact, the first song we uh, sang this morning, Stir Within Me, and it, uh, it refers to having a fire for you, Lord. That's the idea. Have any of you ever been camping and made a, a fire just from scratch, the stuff you found in the woods? It starts very small, right? You have to find some little twigs that are real dry and some dry leaves, and then you, you kind of get that together and you throw a match in, just a small little match or a lighter, and, 
and, and you hope that it, something catches. And then once that catches, you begin to add a little bit bigger sticks until you get up to logs, and then it's really, really burning, bright, burning big. And we in California know that sometimes that fire can burn too big, right? And it spreads, and then all of a sudden it costs millions of dollars of our taxpayers' dollars to put out that fire, and it's a big job. And people and whole communities can be destroyed by this. And God in us, a passion for God is like a fire. It starts small. You know, it just starts with a prayer. God, give me a passion for you. It starts with something small like waking up and studying God's Word and longing to know Him more and more. And it starts small, but it can be stoked. And we stoke it by just continuing to come before the Lord. We we stoke it by surrounding ourselves with good Christian friends and saying, hey, keep me encouraged in the faith. Keep me accountable. And it starts with just being consistent. It's like having a long obedience in the same direction. And we... Uh, and we throw off sin, and we just keep uh, seeking God until it becomes like that unquenchable fire that Jeremiah describes here, that even if we wanted to put it out, it's shut up in our bones that we would be weary of holding it in. Indeed, we could not. So a passion for God is like a fire that grows within us, and that's a good thing, because a passion for God, that fire within us, is really what fills our hearts and our lives with joy with meaning, with peace. All of these other fires, they, they dwindle out or they stir within us things that we don't want there. Anger and pride and bitterness. But a passion for God is like a fire. A passion for God, point two, breaks the hearts of those who love God when God is disrespected. You ever felt that way? that you see someone disrespecting God, even maybe it's just even yourself. You recognize that you disrespect the Lord and it breaks your heart. God, why would that person do that? And it's not a, and it's not a brokenness that makes us want to uh, lash out in anger. It's a brokenness to realize, man, they're just missing out on something so good. A passion for God breaks our hearts for those who love God when God is disrespected. Jeremiah 29, or 23, 9 reads this way. This is Jeremiah again. My heart is broken within me. All my bones tremble. And it's not hard to figure out what is breaking Jeremiah's heart. Go back to chapter 23 and you can read it in context. In fact, you can just read the whole book of Jeremiah. What breaks Jeremiah's heart is that the people of Israel do not cherish and honor and treasure God the way that he should be treasured and honored and cherished. Jeremiah is called the weeping prophet because his message constantly breaks his heart. That the people of Israel, they have been given this precious gift of having a relationship with him, and yet they turn away from him, and they are punished by God because of it. And so a, a passion for God breaks our hearts when we see that God is disrespected. The third lesson is this, a passion for God knows that the best life is found only in God. You see, really... Point one and point two lead to point three. 
that a passion uh, for God is like a fire and a passion for God breaks our hearts. And now we recognize the reason it breaks our heart is because we know that the best life that we could have is found only in God. You see, as I said, Israel was meant to be the people of God. They had all the commandments and all the promises of God. God had told them that he was going to be their God. It was a wonderful thing. And for Jeremiah, it was like having the best, and then for Israel to turn away to things far less uh, valuable, far more inferior. Listen to these verses in chapter 2, verses 11 and through 13. Has a nation ever changed its gods? Yet they are not gods at all, but my people have exchanged their glory, capital G, the glory of God, God himself, but my people have exchanged their glory for worthless idols. Be appalled at this, O heavens, and shudder with great horror, declares the Lord. My people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns, that cannot hold water. You can sense the indignation in Jeremiah's words. What have you done? You had it all. You had it so good. You had God Almighty and you traded it away for something so much less valuable. We just got uh, through the Christmas season. Every year it's the same commercials, right? You get this car with the bow on it. And I'm thinking... Nobody gets a car like that with a bow on it. You know, these are the most ridiculous commercials to me. In fact, if Chelsea bought me, if not that this would ever happen, but if Chelsea ever bought me a car like that and put a bow on it and then Christmas morning I get it, I'd think, what are you doing? At least let me test drive a few vehicles before you go buy something. But let's just say, hypothetically, you get this vehicle in your driveway on Christmas morning. It's got this big red bow. It's, let's just say, hey, you're excited about it, though that would never happen. But let's just say you're really excited about it, and this is a great vehicle. So you get in it, and you're going to drive it around the block, and all of a sudden you get partway around the block, and you see this car. And you think, you know, that's, that's not a bad car, too, you know? The light's being held up with packing tape, it looks like. It's all rusted out and the paint, it's probably got tears in the seat, but you think, that's not a bad, so you go and you knock on the door and you say, hey, I want to trade my brand new $100,000 luxury SUV for that car in your driveway. And the guy says, sure. And And we would say, you idiot, what are you doing? That is a terrible trade. And you can sense the same idea in Jeremiah's words. You bunch of knuckleheads. You have God Almighty and you trade it for these worthless idols. Why would you ever do something like that? And the reality is, we make that same boneheaded trade all the time. We have God Almighty in our lives and yet we trade away our satisfaction in Him for all of these other things. Do we really think that money and stuff are going to satisfy our hearts? And yet that can be a great passion in our lives. In fact, that can be a passion that trumps our passion for God. 
Do we really think power and success and reputation and all of those things are going to really satisfy our souls in the way that God would? And yet, oftentimes, that's a greater passion than God, than our passion for the Lord. Do we really think that sex and love and lust could uh, uh, quench that urge, that longing within our hearts? And yet that seems what the world portrays to us all the time. That if we just pursue that, that that would be a good thing. And a lot of people have a lot of passion for that. But those are worthless idols, to use the words of Jeremiah. Those things will never uh, satisfy. He gives this image. He says that God is the, the living water, the, wa- the spring of living water, that there is always fresh water that will satisfy and quench the, the uh, thirsts of our heart. And yet we look to broken cisterns. In, Je- in Jeremiah's day, fresh water was no guarantee. In fact, they built these huge aqueducts to, tra- uh, to cause uh, water to travel to s- certain cities, and then they'd have a cistern. And they're saying, why would you take, if you've got a spring of living water, why would you want to be drinking out of a broken cistern? The water's all muddy and mucky at the bottom, and you just keep putting water in it, and it leaks away. And the same thing happens with all of these other things. We just keep filling it up and we think it's going to be good, but it's dirty water and it will never get full because it just keeps leaking away. Jesus talks about himself being a source of living water. To the woman at the well in John 4, he says, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. And the woman doesn't quite get it, and so she asks a question, and then Jesus comes back again. Verse 13, Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring welling up to eternal life. You see, that's the kind of life that we're talking about. Life in God is a spring of eternal life. Jesus says, this is eternal life that you may know me and the one who sent me, that we could have a relationship with God. That is really what's most satisfying. And we can pour all kinds of stuff in these other cisterns, but they're broken, dirty, worthless cisterns. They will never satisfy. And so Jesus says, come and look to me, and then there will be a spring welling up to eternal life. Lesson number four, a passion for God causes people to pursue God with all their hearts. Jeremiah uh, challenges the people of Israel to pursue God with all their hearts. He says that God says, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. You see, that's what he's talking about, a passion so that God is above all else. And so to pursue God in his word and in prayer to seek to live with Him and to live for Him. That God would be the first thought on our minds in the morning. He would be the last thought in our minds as we are going to sleep at night. That there would be, as I said, a long obedience in the same direction. That we would pursue God with all of our hearts. Jeremiah 9, verses 23 through 24 says, Let not the wise man boast of his wisdom, 
or the strong man boast of his strength, or the rich man of his riches. But let him who boasts boast about this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who exercises kindness, justice, and righteousness on the earth. For, the, for in these I delight, declares the Lord. So don't boast all these other things. They're worthless things. Don't boast about being strong or wise or having uh, riches but boasts that we have a relationship with God, for God is kind and he's just and he's righteous. And so may we pursue him with all of our hearts. And that leads us to our last lesson. Lesson one was a passion for God is like a fire. Lesson two, a passion for God breaks the hearts of those who love God when he is disrespected. Three, a passion for God knows that the best life is found only in God. Four, a passion for God causes people to pursue God with all their hearts. And now lastly, a passion for God sees sin as anything done outside of being in awe of God. Anything that is done outside of an understanding of the glory of God. Jeremiah 2.19, consider then and realize how evil and bitter, this is evil and bitter in the sight of the Lord, uh, how evil and bitter it is when you forsake the Lord your God and have no awe of me, declares the Lord, the Lord Almighty. You see, it's really hard to be prideful when we have a tremendous awe of God. It's hard to think of ourselves as too, uh, as to being really great when we have an awe of the Almighty God. It's really hard to lust after someone when we are in awe of the beauty of the Lord. It's really hard to be angry with someone when our perspective is on how awesome God is or to be, or, or to be greedy or any other sin. John Piper says it this way, All sin comes from not putting supreme value on the glory of God. This is the very essence of sin. See, the very essence of sin is not just doing something wrong. It's not valuing God the way that he ought to be valued. It's not giving him the type of glory that he wants to that he deserves to receive. And I think Piper is exactly right here because Romans 3:23 says, and we and many of us know this verse, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You see, to fall short of the glory of God is not just to not measure up to God's perfection. It means that we don't give him the glory that he deserves. Is that we fall short in our praise of his glory. And so we are to live in awe of God, to live in light of his glory, and to sin is to do anything other than to honor God the way that he deserves to be honored. You see, this is my hope and my desire for my own life. That I would live with a passion for God in this way. It's really my hope for us as a church, West Covina Christian Church, that God really would, as we sang this morning, that he would stir within us a fire for him, a passion for him. It is my hope for this community that we would see the glory of God uh, spread out so that others would come to know the greatness of God, to, to have a passion for Him in their own lives. And so this is at the essence of the mission statement. We exist to spread a passion for God so that He is above all else in our lives, church, and community. Okay, if that is a, passion, uh, if that is a mission statement, most churches have a mission statement, right? Right? 
Most churches have a mission statement, and nobody in the church knows what the mission statement is. And that is unfortunate, because a mission statement is the whole idea of it is it is to drive everything that we do. And uh, we have actually have a mission statement, and our mission statement for a long time has been a very good one. It has been that we are to open our doors wide so that many may enter it through the narrow gates. Now, that is a great mission statement. But as, uh, as I and as the vision team wrestled with this, we thought this is, this is good because it is broad. Or, I mean, it is, uh, it is catchy. It is, it is the idea of being evangelistic. But we said there is a lot more that we are about as a church than just uh, being evangelistic and opening our doors wide. Though that is what we want to do. We're not abandoning that mission at all. But we began to think through, and, and to do this, we had the vision team, and every one of them said, what are we to be about as a church? And the number one answer that came back, and this, in fact, this was all the way across the board, everyone included only one thing. There was a lot of uniformity here, but there was only one that was unanimous, and that was that we are to be a church of worship. And I thought that was really interesting. And so we began to wrestle with, does our mission statement encapsulate that idea? And the other idea that came from the vision team, we are to be a church of disciple making. And then prayer and service to the community. Those were the top four. We are to be a church of worship, of prayer, of discipleship, and of service uh, to the community. And we thought, does our mission statement uh, uh, represent all of those things. First, we thought about just making a list like that. But then we thought, no, that's not why we want to do it. What is really behind it is this, that we want to spread a passion for God so that He is above all else in our lives, in our church, and in our community. You see, when we worship, what is it all about that we are doing? We are proclaiming God. We're spreading a passion for Him, that He is above all else. That is proclaiming His name, singing His praises. That's what discipleship is all about. Helping us grow in our discipleship to the Lord so that He is above all else, so that we have a passion for Him. That is what evangelism is all about, this spread of this passion for God. That is what... Um, what is the one I'm missing? Prayer is all about. That we would seek to cry out to God, cultivate within us a passion for you. And service for the community is the same type of thing. That we want to exalt God all around us. I quoted John Piper a moment ago. I served in John Piper's church my first ministry experience I had. I was a youth director at Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. And uh, I learned a lot from Pastor John. And uh, one of the things... And uh, Bethlehem Baptist was the only church I have ever been a part of that actually had a mission statement that, they, that people knew and that actually drove their ministry. And Pastor John once told me, he said, the reason that this mission statement at our church has such an effect is because not only is it the church's mission statement, but it's my personal mission statement as well. That's what he said as a, pas- as a pastor. And, uh, and, in, and that, all, that has stuck with me for many, many years. And I just, can we put up the mission statement one more time? I say this in all honesty. 
I read this, and, and I'm not just blowing smoke here, but I've seen a lot of mission statements, and I've read a lot. This is the best one I have ever seen or read. I love this, that we would truly be a church that has a passion for God so that He is above all else in our lives and in our church, in our community. If we are about that, then we will be about the work that God wants us to be about. Kevin had that painting in the clip from the, uh, from the TV show, right? And uh, he talks about how he envisions himself as kind of that dab of paint in the corner and then someone else is this dab of paint over here. And, uh, and eventually he says, you know, all these dabs of paint together, he says, this is us. And I think that that might be, there might be some truth to that. I wonder that if, as a church, each of us has our own little piece here. And together it is beautiful. But I look at that and I think there is actually just one thing missing in Kevin's little uh, idea here with the painting. And that is, if I'm this little piece of purple paint in the corner, I still feel very insignificant. And you know what? That's okay. Because this is not about us. This is us, but it's about God. And so that is what this mission statement is all about. That we exist to spread a passion for God. Not for West Covina Christian Church. Not for Pastor Corey. Not for any individual. Not for any, anything else except we exist to spread a, a passion for God so that He is above all else. That is what we want in our own lives. That's what we want in our church. That's what we want in our community. That He would be above all else. And so that is what we are to be about. This is us, but it's all about God. Another point of application, very simply, that having a passion for God starts with prayer. To pray every day. I've learned this in my own life that God answers this prayer. God, give me a passion for you. And it's still a prayer that I pray every day. In fact, as a teenager, someone taught me, pray every day, pray, God, give me a passion for you and a hatred for sin. And for some reason, that prayer has stuck with me. And I know that there is still a lot lot more stoking of the fire, so to speak, that could happen. But that is all of our prayers. May it be that God would give us a passion for himself and a hatred for sin. You know, that's really the reason we have concerts of prayer every month. That we could come together as a church family and pray. That's where a passion for God starts. And so I would encourage you, if you're able, please come out to the concert of prayer, 7 o'clock Wednesday night, and this is what we're going to pray. God, stir within us a passion for you so that you are above all else in our lives, in our church, and in our community. And then lastly, last point of application, God's great plan for us is our pursuit of Him. That's what this mission statement is all about, our pursuit of Him. What's the most famous verse in Jeremiah? Jeremiah 29, 11, right? Does anyone here have their favorite verse in the Bible is Jeremiah 29, 11? Someone raise your hand. Jane, first front row, Wow. Uh, Jay, anyone else they, uh, have their Jeremiah 29 11 is their favorite verse in the Bible Jane you're the winner today okay 
I was hoping more people would raise their hands, so you're the winner. Uh, This is Jane's favorite verse, and this is one of my favorite verses. Let me read this and read it uh, the uh, first the verses that follow. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back from captivity. See, we love that verse because it's a verse of promise that God is going to give us, that God has plans for our lives that are for our good, to give us hope and a future. And we love that. And then we begin to read it in context and we realize that plan for our lives that is so wonderful and so good is that we would live with Him, that we would seek Him and He would be found that we, would, uh, that we would look for him, that we would pray to him, and that he will listen to us. That is really the hope behind this verse. That is uh, what Jeremiah is talking about. And I believe that is a promise for us as a church as well. God has a plan for us. It is a great plan. And it is a plan for us to be in pursuit of him. See, at first I was going to say this point was actually my first point on my notes here. It says... The great plan of God is rooted in our pursuit of Him. And there is some truth to that, but then uh, as I read through the verses again, I thought it's not just rooted in our pursuit of Him. It's actually rooted in God's willingness to reveal Himself to us. And that is the partnership. That as we pursue God, God shows Himself to us. And as God shows himself to us, our passion for him grows. And so this is what we are all about, to be a church that has a passion for him so that he is above all else in our lives, church, and community. Let's pray. Oh, Father God, we just pray that you would stir within us these things. Give us a passion for you. We recognize that This starts with your initiative, that you'll move within our hearts, that you'll awaken us to yourself. And so, God, we pray right now, we just come before you humbly and ask that you would move in our hearts. We pray because we know this is a work of your Holy Spirit. And I pray for myself. I pray not only as a pastor, but as a husband and as a father, and just as a person who wants to live for you. God, I pray that you would give me a passion for you so that you are above all else in my life. And God, I pray that you would do that in so many hearts here. And as a church, God, I pray that you would stir within us a passion for you so that you are above all else in our church. And God, eventually, God, I pray that this just goes forth from us into our community. Somehow, God, may we see a passion for you so that uh, the people of our community, of West Covina, right around us, would place you as number one in their lives, that you would be above all else. And so, God, we just pray that you would stir within us that kind of passion for you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.